Greetings and welcome to Straight Talk with Wine Spectator, a new podcast from the world's most widely read wine magazine. I'm your host, James Molesworth, Wine Spectator Senior Editor and Special Projects Director, and you're listening to a special preview edition of Straight Talk's debut episode, featuring a roundtable interview with Napa Cabernet All-Stars Thomas Rivers Brown of Schrader Cellars and Rivers Marie, Andy Erickson of Favia, Maya Kamas, and the new Tokalon Vineyard Company, and Helen Keplinger of Grace Family and her own Keplinger label. And I'm podcast director Rob Taylor, here to give James the wrap-it-up signal whenever he looks in my direction. Am I that long-winded, Rob? <laughs> Let's just say you're thorough. Okay. Fortunately, wine lovers can hear James completely unfiltered, along with our rotating cast of Wine Spectator senior editors and industry movers and shakers at winespectator.com slash podcast, where all of our full half-hour episodes are available for free, of course. That's right, Rob. And later in this abridged preview episode, we'll get the latest word from Napa with Wine Spectator senior editor for news Mitch Frank and a visit from our very own advice columnist, Dr. Vinny. But first things first, let's kick it off with a clip from my roundtable discussion with Napa winemakers Thomas Rivers Brown, Andy Erickson, and Helen Kepliger. All three of you have carved out pretty spectacular careers here in Napa Valley. You've all been on the cover of Wine Spectator. You've all got decades of winemaking experience. And you're all consultants, and you all have your own labels. How do you wear the two hats, especially when sometimes your your client wines go for prices that are significantly greater than your own wine. Is that a delicate dance, Thomas? Well, I, I think I did a pretty good job of ignoring Rivers Marie for a long time, and I'm trying to change that because <laughs> okay. that was uh, silly and didn't make any sense. But I, I do like both hats. I like the idea of all these clients just in general because it really informs our decisions about a vintage because we get a huge database really early on. It's very broad-based, even being in the Sonoma side, which is really exciting for me just to see something different. Combining the two, I think, is fine. I think you're always a little worried that clients might be upset if they see your personal lines getting big scores or whatever. That was like a beginning of career kind of stuff. That Those, those concerns just are kind of gone, I think, at this point. And I think all of our wines can be less expensive than our client wines because there's no winemaking fees <laughs> in our own wines. You don't have a consultant working with you at Rivers Marie? <laughs> I do not, and I have not paid myself in the 20 years of Rivers Marie. So um, maybe some living expenses here and there and maybe some wines for the seller, but mm. that's about it. Um, but I, I find the combination of the two work really well. The cross-promotion can work really well. Helen, did you ever feel like you had to sacrifice some of your own stuff to handle your client stuff first? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just like Thomas Keplinger, I started it in 2006 with 250 cases and it was a side project. So it was something that I did after I did everybody else's, you know, wine. So I would go down and do my own pump overs or punch downs. Everything was made in T-bins. I had no money. Mm-hmm. So um, I would do things very early in the morning and then late at night and DJ, my husband would come down and meet me with dinner and ask if there was something he could do. And I would say, yes, please go like punch down all of those things over there. You, you like uh, Thomas, get to work with Tokalon Fruit, Andy. Yes. Do you fanboy out on a vineyard? No, oh, I fanboy out on a, a lot of vineyards. <laughs> I'm a total terroir geek. Yeah. So I, I love, and I would agree with both of them, that having a hand in a lot of different things is, it makes it more exciting. And you, and you see so many different things every year. It's almost like working multiple harvests every year, and that's when you learn so much about the craft. And so I love, I love all the different 
vineyards and clients that I have, you know, equally, of course, <laughs> but it's just great to hear you two talk about your own labels because Favia, same thing. It, it started very small. It was just me and Annie back in the day, and it was viewed as a side project. And it always bothered me when I was out on the road and with a distributor or something, and they're talking about, yeah, this is Andy's side project. And I'm thinking, like, <laughs> this is not a side project. This is as important as everything else. So, you know, now I refer to it as the family winery instead of my little side project. And people who love wine, they're not buying one brand of wine. So it's not like, I mean, there's friendly competition between people, but it's not like if one person wins, somebody else is losing in the Valley, right? Like if we all make better wines every year, you know, everybody's winning. So it's fun in that way. Yeah. What's new in the world of wine? Wine Spectator is the leading source for wine industry news and trends. From big-name wineries changing hands to wine country wildfires, we'll catch you up on the most important need-to-know news for wine lovers. To help us out with that is Wine Spectator's longtime news editor and our newest senior editor, Mitch Frank. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me. You know, after we recorded that Napa Roundtable interview, the temperature hit 114 degrees there a few days later. Fortunately, Napa can handle temperatures like that, but there have been some serious heat events in Europe this year that are going to impact the 2022 vintage. That is right. It has not been a typical year in Europe. Wildfires have scorched or come close to multiple wine regions in Spain, Portugal. There was a huge fire raging south of Bordeaux for a couple of weeks, and they're just grateful that firefighters were able to keep it away and the smoke was not drifting over the vineyards. Let's go back to Napa, where the hottest topic these days isn't the 114-degree heat spikes, it's the real estate. More specifically, some folks are alarmed by the number of family wineries that have sold to corporations or wealthy investor types. So the big news we learned this summer was that LVMH Moet Hennessy, which is known for brands like Cruc Champagne and Chateau Cheval Blanc, has bought Joseph Phelps Vineyards. Not only is Phelps a Napa icon known for wines like Insignia, but the deal also includes over 500 acres of vines in Napa and in the Sonoma Coast. So it is a big deal. And Napa's Silverado Vineyards sold that same month. In the past five years, we've seen Schaefer, Diamond Creek, Grace Family, and Heights sold to new owners. So here's my question for you. Obviously, the sellers are benefiting here, but is this one of those rising tide lifts all boats scenarios where the growing value of Napa Vineyards is allowing for greater investment and improved quality across the board? Or is the wine industry following in the footsteps of big tech and college football where power is being consolidated among fewer and fewer haves and the have-nots are getting priced out? Well, the good news is that buyers like these are going to invest, and we will probably see the quality of Napa wine go up overall. Several of these properties were owned by the second or third generation, and they might not have been interested in staying in the business. What worries me is that the entry price for Napa has gotten very high. Wineries like Phelps and Schaefer and Heights were founded by pioneers who saw Napa's potential at a time when it was not world-renowned. Now you almost have to be a global fashion giant or a Korean luxury real estate firm to buy a piece of Napa. So who's going to be the next Joe Heights or the next John Schaefer? They probably will not be starting their winery in Napa. The entry price is just too high. That news report really hits home for our three winemakers in my Napa roundtable, and they had their own takes on it. I asked each of them their thoughts about the future of Napa and what they think about passing a family business on to their kids. 
You can hear their thoughts on that and much more in the full episode of Straight Talk, Episode 1 at winespectator.com slash podcast. Up next, we've got a wine spectator legend in her own right, the mysterious and wise Dr. Vinny. Oh, doctor. Hey there, Rob. What's going on today? Well, there's a lot of confusion about wine out there. So I've heard. We have a lot of readers interested in Cabernet, and they're reading about Bordeaux and Claret and Meritage, and they're wondering what the heck is the difference between all these things? Are they the same thing? Got it. Well, let me start with Cabernet Sauvignon. It's one of the most important wine grapes in the world, and you definitely see bottlings from it all over the world. So when you hear someone say they like Cabernets, they're talking about wines made mostly or entirely from Cabernet Sauvignon grapes. And one of the most fascinating things about Cabernet Sauvignon to me is that it's actually a cross between two other grapes you've probably heard about, Cabernet Franc and Sauvignon Blanc. What? Yep. So that's a white grape, Sauvignon Blanc, and a red grape, and they made a baby, and that <laughs> grape was Cabernet Sauvignon? Yeah, it's, it sounds unusual, but if you think about it, there are people who have brown eyes that have parents with blue eyes. So it's just something that happens. Makes sense. It is the most widely planted wine grape in the world. It's known for dense, tannic, full-body reds that usually have the potential to age. And because of that, uh, most of the best Cabernets in the world are also some of the most expensive wines in the world. Hey, Dr. Vinny, I'm sorry. I have to stop you there. Oh, no, what's wrong? This is just the preview episode. Oh, I understand. I think this is the part where I tell everyone they can hear my full, uninterrupted explanations for Bordeaux, Claret, and Meritage exclusively at winespectator.com slash podcast. Nailed it. Nailed it. Bye, Rob. Don't forget your next appointment. And that's it for our Street Talk Episode 1 Special Preview Edition. Well, let's at least tell them what they're missing. If you liked what you heard here, we've got a lot more where that came from. The full-length episode includes an overview of recent California Cabernet vintages, including the Wildfire Scorched 2020 as well as the excellent 2019s, a guide to Napa Mountain Cabernets versus wines from the valley floor, plus a few little Easter eggs at the end that you'll just have to tune in to hear. Thanks, James. And just in case somebody wasn't listening, you'll find all that and more at winespectator.com slash podcast. I hope we'll see you all there soon, but until then, I'm James Molesworth, reminding you to always share when you drink the good stuff.